to the Clients and Conversions Podcast. I'm your host, Danielle Clem, and I've helped fellow entrepreneurs and business owners just like you harness the power of social media to grow your audience by the hundreds, 2x their launch sales, and have client leads banging down the door to book a call with you. And I'm the first to say that hustling and searching hours online for your next client or student is not the vital ingredient to your success or even your happiness. This podcast is for driven entrepreneurs, from coaches to course creators and everything in between, to access practical and actionable tactics on everything from how to get clients with Instagram advertising, and really unlock the keys from sales and social media to get growth with the simplest tools possible, while keeping it just long enough to get you through your walk, drive, or workout. So stick with us for this episode and the ones to come so you can get more clients and sales in less time. Now let's get into it. Hey guys, today we have on Marissa Lawton, who is a host of Empathy Rising podcast and mentor who helps therapists and coaches move from a one-to-one business model to one-to-many with an online program. Welcome to the podcast, Marissa. Thanks for having me, Danielle. I've been looking forward to this. I've been too. And for those who don't know, Marissa has a really great thing where she can really help you understand, especially in like the business model and I would say sales funnel piece that a lot of people have a hard time understanding. So for those who are still kind of figuring that out, this is a great podcast to listen to. But before we get into all that kind of fun stuff, I want to go into your journey. So kind of talking about what led you to where you're at now. So I'd love to hear kind of what got you into this path. Yeah, I I like to say I kind of have a zigzaggy journey. James Wedmore says it's like your leapfrog where everything mm-hmm. that you've done before um, has led you to where you're at today. And that's definitely how I see my journey because um, my undergrad is actually from a top 20 business school. Um, and I graduated in 2009, which if anybody's old enough to remember, that was like 20% of the graduating class of 2009 got jobs. So when I started undergrad in 2005, we, like our business professors were telling us, you're going to go straight to wall street. Cause my major was finance. You're going to go straight to wall street. You're going to make, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars as your starting salary. And then in 2008, we watched Bear Stearns go out of business and we watched all these investment banks that we thought we were going to be working at go out of business. So I had one year left. That was my junior year. I had one year left. And so in, all, in, in business school, I started taking all the electives that I could. So I took some management electives. I took some marketing electives. And that's actually, um, I did one of my internships senior year um, at an advertising agency. And so I went to the school um, at Arizona State. So this was an advertising agency in downtown Phoenix. Uh, and we actually got a lot of business from like LA and um, people who didn't want to use LA advertising agencies, Hmm. they used us. So it was a pretty robust agency. So I learned, even though like everything for my schooling was the financial aspects of business, everything from my like work experience was the marketing side of business. So it was really cool. Then here's my first zigzag. I married my husband, who's uh, a soldier, an active duty soldier in the army. Um, And so our first duty station when we got married was Alaska, like, and not the cities in Alaska, like the middle of nowhere, Alaska. So there was no, there was a one credit union, let alone like investment banks or anything of like that I was trained to do. Um, So I call that my quarter life crisis. Um, And I honestly, I was seeing, this was like way back, right? This is like 2010. So the very start of like online business kind of stuff. But I was seeing ads for the IFC, 
the um, coaching federation or ICF. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, well, maybe I'll be a life coach, but I was like 23. And I was like, who would ever have a 23 year old life coach? This was before coaching was really a thing. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, if I'm not going to be a life coach, what could I be that is in that same vein? And I was like a therapist, right? Mm-hmm. Most people become therapists. Like their undergrad is in psychology or sociology. And this is something they've wanted to do for a really long time. For me, my end goal was always private practice, um, mm-hmm. owning my own business as a therapist. So I went that route. I got my master's. When you're a therapist, you have to do like 3,000 plus hours of training and all of this stuff. Um, and I became a licensed therapist and I loved it. I was working one-on-one, kind of like in a coaching capacity, right? One-on-one with clients on their mental health. But then again, the army intervenes and moves us from Georgia to Texas. And um, a lot of military spouses who are teachers or even hairdressers have this problem where when you have a license and then your husband moved, you have to go back and like redo all your license. So sometimes it's just a matter of paying that state's, you know, fee, but sometimes it's more education. And in in the instance of a therapist, sometimes it's more hours and all this stuff. And so that's when I quickly realized I'm not going to be able to maintain this, like building a private practice, um, and then having to move every couple of years. Yeah. So I found myself again in the online space thinking, well, maybe now I'll be a coach. (laughs) A few years had gone by five. It was, that was 2015. So in that five year span, like coaching became a thing. And I was like, okay, now I'm 28 and age didn't really have as much of a factor anymore because I saw a lot of young coaches out there and a lot of people doing it. Um, And so I was like, well, that's what I'm going to do. So I kind of took my mental health background and I started coaching moms, but I had no niche. I was just like, I'm going to coach moms with whatever. Right. So I had no niche. I had no offering. Um, it was like I was booking a client here and there, but every time I got a coaching client, it felt like either a fluke, like how did that happen, or pulling teeth. Um, and so I really, I did that for like a year and a half. And then I kind of went back to the drawing board and I started getting really clear on things like, what's my brand? What's my offer? What's my niche? Mm. Uh, and so that's when I came back and I realized I want to marry the two things that I'm good at, business and therapy. And I started becoming a business strategist, business coach for other therapists. So that's my zigzag. <laughs> that's a good zigzag though. That You cover so many spots throughout that. <laughs> yeah, it, it's crazy how like sometimes I wake up and I'm like, oh, all these random puzzle pieces, like they make sense now. But I used to, I used to be really upset with myself that I wasted all this time on, and money on a master's degree that I wasn't even using. And then I was like, no, wait, if I didn't have that master's degree, I wouldn't be able to speak a therapist's language. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't understand their business model because I worked in it for several years. Like I, it has served me. Um, and now looking back, I can see how those things served me, even though at the time, um, like pivoting away from it felt like I was doing something wrong or like I wasn't, I made a mistake, but now I can see where all the pieces fit together. And that's, I think, like you said, the best part is knowing that and understanding that, okay, you know, whether it was a master's degree or for me, I think it was a bachelor's in some random business thing. Although, do I use it now? No, (laughs) don't remember even like half the classes, but there is that level of 
expertise it brings, but also just that level of knowing like, okay, I can talk about this because I have background in it. Like you said, especially for therapists, they have to know that they're talking to someone who knows what they're going through. And that couldn't have happened without that. And I love that you mentioned that piece. because I forget about that moving from state licenses because Mm -hmm. I have friends who are therapists and who also are hairstylists. And because they're they're lucky enough that their partner doesn't have to move so much. They don't have that, uh, that problem, but it's a, it's a rough one to go through for sure. Yeah. And another military spouse profession or another profession that's high among military spouses is being a teacher. Mm -hmm. Um, and so they have the same thing. Like you've got your teaching license in whatever state and then you move and then, Oh, if you go overseas, then it's a whole nother can of worms. So Um, that's why I'm a big advocate for having an online income stream, regardless of your life circumstances. But if you have something like that, for sure, because we, it's called PCS, but it's a fancy way of saying moving. We moved this year and my business really didn't skip a beat. Like I, I launched, I planned my launch before our move. And so I had to do a couple calls from like Starbucks, right, mm-hmm. with my with my group program. But uh, for the most part, there really wasn't a big like change to my business. I could keep going regardless of kind of the fact that we were moving across the country. You know what? If I hadn't told people we were moving across the country, no one would have known. Yeah, I think barely even I knew, honestly. <laughs> and for context, her and I have worked together for ad stuff. And it's just funny because literally you could have told me that you moved across country and I'm like, I don't, she, she's here. She's in the same place. She's always been. Are you kidding me? So that's, that is very true. And I think that's something that you've always been really great at from the outside looking in is that you've always known how to keep things at bay when it comes to life changes or things that pop up. You always have that next step going, which is such a huge thing that entrepreneurs of any stage need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's why I really um, like to teach offer creation and I really like to teach the stuff that I teach is because I mentioned when I was doing the whole mom coaching, I really didn't have an offer. I was just like, hey, you want, you're a mom? You want me to coach you? Like I had no offer. I had no branding. I had none of the things in place that I really focus on now. And so I know what it was like to be in the online space without that. And I know how much different it is to be in the online space with a clear offer, with a clear plan, with direction of where your business is going. It just makes it, it makes a huge difference. I agree. And that even comes from knowing around. So for background as well, I started out in the, the business years ago as a website designer. So mm-hmm. the graphics and visuals were always a very key point to me. And they can make you stand out from looking like a $2,000 business to a $100,000 business if they're done right. So I fully agree with that. And that actually leads into one of the things that you're really good at, which is talking about not only offer creation, but creation around things that are group or more passive or things that don't take as much time. So Mm -hmm. I would love for you to chat about for you, like how do you help people to understand what is the right move for me next once they've done or they're really kind of burnt out of one-to-one? Yeah. So my main niche is therapists. So they're building like caseloads of, you know, we think it it sounds silly, but like, oh, a caseload of 20 clients, like that sounds normal, but some therapists are dealing with heavy stuff, right? Mm -hmm. They're hearing about traumas and they're hearing about, um, you know, abandoned, like just heavy stuff. Right. And I won't go into like too much stuff, but like, 
we think that we could have a caseload of 20 or 25, but when you're hearing those stories all the time, it's more likely that you're going to have a caseload of 10, 12, maybe 15, right? So you really start to get capped out on -on one-on-one. Now, what I'm talking about, like my niche is therapist, but this applies to anybody who is a coach or who does done for you services like that, like has clients that they serve, you're still going to get full. Like you're Mm -hmm. still, there's still going to be a point where I don't have time on my calendar for another client. And especially if you're trying to balance other things, like if you have a family or if you have a partner, or even if you just have friendships or other things that are important to you other than your business, it's really easy to be like, oh, well, I was supposed to go out with the girls or, oh, I was, uh, my kid has a dance recital, but I can miss it this one time and I'll schedule this client call. And then eventually you're doing that all of the time. Mm. Right. So when I'm working with therapists or really anybody who serves one-to-one, my main goal is what you do one-on-one is so valuable. There is so much there that you don't see, like the knowledge that you have or something you take for granted. Oh, I just set this system up because it made sense for me. And it's really easy for you. But the person that you're serving, that like blows their mind. Yeah. Right. So my main thing is how can we look at what you do one-on-one and how can we turn that into a one-to-many service? Now that can be a course or a one-to-many program. It could be a course. It can be a membership site. It can be a group program. It could be even a retreat. A lot of people don't think about retreats as Mm -hmm. a one-to-many offering. Um, So my first thing is what you do one-on-one has value. It can be repurposed and repackaged. My second thing is make sure that program is the right fit for you because mm-hmm. tons of people are like, oh, I'm going to do a course now. And a course actually isn't either the right fit for them or the right fit for their audience. Yeah. And some, some other type of delivery would be better. That's a really great distinction that I know so many therapists and entrepreneurs in general have that struggle with is they just see like the most, uh, the closest thing to them, which from right now seems to be always talking about courses and membership sites. But for those people, for example, like if someone likes still the interaction that can come from having people there, the group program or retreat might work better. And I love that you make that distinction because it is very huge to know. And I think what also might come up too, which be interesting for you to talk about is what I hear a lot from people is, but what about if they go from one-to-one to to group? Okay. But what if they lose that, you know, that one-to-one connection or they lose that intimacy that comes from it? What is your normal answer to that? Yeah. And this is, might sound like a little bit of a therapisty answer, but there's a ton of value that comes from group right? Like you have, you have to take a little bit of a back seat. Like I don't ever suggest stepping out and letting the group run the program um, completely. Cause that just doesn't make sense. You're still the expert. You're still the authority in the program, but taking maybe like a half a step back and letting those group members have conversations because different points of view have so much value. That's why like we, in in therapy, we do one-on-one therapy where we talk just to the client, but there's also group therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, And so some, usually the way that it works, which makes sense for online business as well, is usually if somebody, let's say, is having like panic attacks or whatever, like they're going to benefit most from seeing like a one-on-one therapist, right? Let's get you to the point where you're not having panic attacks anymore. Then the next step of therapy is often now let's, let's go to a group of other people with anxiety 
And so what might've caused you to have anxiety was like driving a car. Someone else might've had anxiety because, um, you know, they lost their mom or something like that. I'm just making stories up. But when you hear other people's perspectives on the same thing on anxiety, it just broadens your horizon so much. You learn so much. So when we're thinking about online income, our customers probably have needs that they need a one-on-one coach for or a one-on-one service for. Mm. But then once they're past that point, it's often really, really beneficial for them to be in a group with others who have like others are at the same stage of business or who are having the same concerns so that they benefit from those other viewpoints. That is, I wish people could, they're going to need to re-listen to that because that piece there was gold mainly because that is such a good distinction between those who automatically fill people in the group programs versus those who know that that's not the first step. Usually the first step is having that one-to-one piece and then elevating them to go into the group because they've kind of gone down from a level 10 to a level five or, you know, whatever that scale is. Yeah. And if you've been working one-on-one for a while, I don't necessarily think that a new customer has to start one-on-one with you before they can do your group, but your one-on-one will inform your group for sure. Because Mm -hmm. even in design, like you, people are like, well, why do I need brand colors? Or why do I need four fonts? Or like these same colors or these same questions Mm -hmm. that come up over and over again that you, you start writing your canned emails for, that you start Mm -hmm. having all these same um, the same response that you copy and paste over all the time, turn that into a group program. Right. And so the person doesn't necessarily have to work with you first one-on-one, but by you doing the one-on-one work, you will, you will know how to run a better group program when it comes time or the same thing. You'll know how to create a better course when it's time, because again, it's still those same questions that you've been answering over and over again. Yeah. And that actually brings up a great next question, which is for you, what are the normal like symptoms or things that you see when people know it's time for them to start going into creating a group program? Yeah, I think definitely feeling burnt out. Like again, oh, my choice is miss out on this, something that is really important to me, this priority of mine, or take a new client. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, if you've raised your rates two or three times and, and you just don't feel like raising your rates anymore again, like then instead of serving somebody at that rate one-on-one, you can serve more people in a group for like a slightly lower rate. So it actually ends up being more lucrative to do a group. So I think, I mean, in entrepreneurship, anything boils down to time or money, right? So if your time is maxed out or if you've reached an income cap and you don't want to raise your rates again, then that's a really good time to consider going one to many, whether that's a group program, whether it's a course, what, whatever type of, of offering makes the best sense for you. Um, those are kind of the two first indicators that I see. Yeah. And I think those for anyone have to be mentioned because like you said, it's kind of like the difference between the emotional symptom and the like physical symptom. The emotional is like, I'm feeling super burnt out. The physical is like, yeah, my prices, because there's a certain point in the market, like where either no one wants to pay that price or you don't want to keep rising it just from your own preference. So that's a huge distinction that I think is great to be said. You're exactly right. Because a lot of people are spreading advice of like, oh, charge what you want or, or even charge what you're worth. And 
I do think that's important when, when people are undercharging, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's important to say, okay, what is the actual value of your program or your offering? What is the actual value here? But you also can't just go out and say, oh, I'm going to charge a hundred thousand dollars for a website design because the market will also dictate a price, mm-hmm. right? Can you be a little bit over market? Sure. If you have a really great, unique selling proposition, right? We, yeah. we can, we can, we can fudge the market a little bit, but you can't be 20 times the market. It just doesn't work that way. Yeah, exactly. And especially if you're someone who's coming into the online space for the first time, or if you're someone who is still trying to get your bearings, the idea for you to jump your price like that can be terrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, I do believe in price increases, but I think sometimes if something's working, really, really well, and you're making sales. And if you're live launching or whatever, if you're on evergreen or whatever, if, if the revenue that's coming from that offer at that price is working for you, maybe you don't have to raise it. I think a lot of people will be like, raise your rates, raise your prices, but sometimes the price just works for you and that's what you want it to be. And that's fine. You know? Yeah. And I think that's actually a great kind of transition to because when it comes to rates, we also have to talk about prices because prices for programs are like the big thing. It's either do I go for a course that might be a little bit lower that I have to get more people into or, you know, should I go higher? So what's your normal process you take them through to kind of figure out, okay, which one actually feels right to you? Yeah. I think price actually comes a little bit later down the road. I think Mm -hmm. the first thing when you're deciding which type of program makes the most sense for you is the first thing I look at is transformation. The second thing I look at is time. The third thing I look at is money. So when we talk about transformation, we have to think about two different things. We have to think about how do you like to work and what does your ideal customer need, right? Mm -hmm. So if you work in your one-on-one, you're super duper hands-on and you want your one-to-many program to be a lot more hands-off, then that's going to dictate the type of program that you sell, right? If you want to be more hands-off, then a group program or a retreat probably isn't the right fit for you. You're probably looking more at a course or a membership site. But you also need to ask, what does my ideal customer need? Okay, because if you're selling something that you want to do, but your ideal customer doesn't need it, then it's not going to sell, right? So if that transformation that your ideal customer needs is like a deep transformation, like a growth oriented transformation, they're probably not going to get that from a course. What they're going to get from a course is more mastery, like mastery of a skill or mastery of a process. Like I want to go out and learn how to do this thing and be able to replicate this thing. That's much more course oriented. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if you're thinking hands off, but your customers want in depth, We've got a mismatch and we have to look at that. So you either have to make a choice of, am I going to run a different type of program or am I going to go after a different ideal customer? Mm. So we have to stay, think about that first. All right. And then that leads into what kind of time do you have and how much do you like to market, right? Do you want this to be evergreen? Um, then if something's evergreen and somebody can buy it like at 2 a.m. on a Tuesday, then it's likely not a group program right? Because that has a start date and a stop date and you've got to gather a cohort and that kind of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So all of these things have to come into play. Then I start thinking about pricing, right? So let's say you want to be 
not all the way hands-off, but sort of hands-on, like somewhere in the middle, Mm -hmm. right? And you have, you want something that's evergreen sales, um, but your ideal customer wouldn't benefit from a self-study course. Like they're not, they're Mm -hmm. not just in there for the mastery. They need some interaction with you and other people. Then that to me lends itself more to membership site because Mm -hmm. it's not as hands-on as a group program, right? You're, Mm -hmm. but you're showing up somewhat, you know, you're still showing up maybe once or twice a month, three times a month, depending on how your membership site is structured. Your ideal customer is getting that benefit of the community benefit of interaction with you, not just feeling like they're taking a course all by themselves. And it's something that you could sell evergreen. Somebody could join your membership site at any time, again, depending on how you've structured it. Now let's look at price. What is the going rate for a membership site in your market, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we know the cap on membership sites typically, I'm just going to throw a number out there is, you know, cap is maybe like 150 a month. Yeah. There's some that are more than that, but really not. And then the lowest that I usually see are somewhere in the thirties or forties a month. Mm -hmm. So now you've got your range of price and you can say, all right, within this range, what's going to work for me financially? What are my goals? Do I want to, do I, am I only trying to make more cash on top of my one-on-one services or am I trying to cut my one-on-one services in half? Or do I want to get rid of one-on-one services altogether and replace all of that with this membership site or with this one-to-many offering? That's all going to dictate the price. Yeah. And I really love that. I mean, all of this in general, I think so many people struggle with because they go straight to the price. They go straight to number three versus going starting first. And I can say from experience, from seeing it for myself, even for clients years ago where if your audience doesn't want something or won't benefit them in that way, even if you want it, even if you're enthusiastic about it, they're not going to buy, or if they buy it, they're not going to get the transformation they want. And that's such a huge key that literally will save you so much time and headache if you put it into place. Right. We can't shove something down someone's throat. You know what I think of is like, it's totally random, but like the movie Aladdin mm-hmm. where, you know, Iago the parrot and the Sultan just keeps stuffing the crackers down his throat. <laughs> like we can't do that to our customers. We can't just like stuff something down their throat and think they're going to buy it. Right. Yeah. And talking about ad strategy, I'm sure you've seen people running ads when the offer isn't right. And so mm-hmm. they'll just spending more and more and more cash to try and get these leads. But that's when you have poor conversions. It's because the leads and the offer don't match. And that's, I think, a really huge point that no one wants to say because there's inside of ads, there's usually a main like five things where it's like it's either your graphic, audience, offer, or t- like text or copies off. And if you've tested what you can see, the other three, which are more creative, cosmetic, and targeting, it's probably mm-hmm. your offer. And a lot of people have emotional attachments to their offer. So it's harder for them to look at it and want to know like, oh, wait, this actually could be the problem. And I need to go back to the drawing board. Mm -hmm. This is why market research is important, in my opinion. And you'll hear people talk and talk and talk about market research. But are you actually doing Mm -hmm. the market research? And so when I'm working with my students, we come up with an offer idea we flesh it out. We brainstorm about it. But I do, I say exactly that. Don't get attached yet. Okay. Because we still have to take it to the market and we still have to validate this offer. 
Okay. Get the data back from potential customers and see what they say. Once you've incorporated that, that data, now you can fall in love. Now you can get attached. Now you can be excited about the offer, but I do agree. People get attached to the offer too early in the process. A thousand percent. And it's because enthusiasm and like eagerness can sometimes like trump the actual data or what what actually is happening and even for myself i remember when i did programs when i first first started years ago and i was just throwing programs out there because it sounded fun it was like it was fun it was great it was interesting but no market research and i would say out of the five programs that i did at that time because i was a chronic launcher maybe two actually went well, luckily, but that could have been saving me so much time because now if I put out any new offer, I do market research calls. I do like the actual uh, looking in Facebook groups or other things where I need to get languaging too. Like there, there's that piece that again, people don't like to look at, but is so important for you to actually get the success you're wanting. Mm-hmm. And so here's, here's something that I see. It's like, it's the difference between somebody who is a true like in their blood entrepreneur and it's the per- the difference between somebody who might be like we call these sometimes heart-centered entrepreneurs we call these sometimes creative entrepreneurs but if you watch like the show shark tank for example mm-hmm. and you watch some of those like true to the definition entrepreneurs like sometimes they're not nice And sometimes like, they're just like, this sucks. This is stupid, you know? And what they're only thinking about is the potential of sales, right? If we were all like true to the definition entrepreneurs, we wouldn't even care about the offer at all in a sense of what we want. We would only be asking people what they want and we would only be selling people what they want. Now, when that, I mean, there are a few of us out there that are like that, but the majority of us aren't. Mm -hmm. The majority of us want, to put something out there in the world that we believe in, that we care about, that we love, that's going to help other people, that allows us to be creative or that allows us to, you know, honor this part of ourselves that we wouldn't necessarily get if we were working for somebody else, right? So we can't sit there and say that there there'll never be any attachment to the offer. But I think if we're too far in this creative space and we have no strategy, it's not to say you won't have success. But that's when that success, in, in my experience, that's when it feels like a fluke. Like, how did I land this client? How did I make yeah. this successful launch? I don't even know what really happened here, right? And so, again, look at your goals. Is this, I don't want to be harsh, but is this a hobby that you're just kind of monetizing? Cool, right? You just need some cash. You're just having fun. But if this is like a legit business that you're growing and scaling, then there has to be strategy and, and there has to be the research and a little bit of that like shrewdness, that business person element. I agree. And the thing is, you know, spending that, you know, five, 10 hours, however long it takes you, it's going to save you 500 hours having to redo the sales page or having to redo the emails. Like the, the difference is huge. And it needs to be talked about. And the confidence piece too, because mm. when we, if we're not being objective enough and we do have that mediocre launch or that flop launch that we've all had, right? Mm-hmm. If we're too in our hearts about it, 
then we're not going to be able to see what we could just shift. Like, oh, it was the copy. Oh, it was the, you know, the design. Oh, it was actually the offer, right? If we can't be a little bit more objective, then it, it just really hurts us to see those launches not turn out the way that we want. And then, you know, I feel like that's a huge setback as well. So yeah, of course the time and the money of getting it right, quote unquote, the first time, but also the confidence and the, the, um, the self-esteem hits that it can take if we just are missing some of the strategy too. Yeah, that's true. And that will then go into other offers as well. Cause you're going to have that looming over your head or it's going to like mess you up uh, internally For as sure. well. For yeah. sure. Well, there's also, I think the one biggest objection that I'll hear outside of this is going to be, well, I don't know if I can do a good program because I don't have a big audience. So yeah. what's your normal counter position for that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a really great question because I think offers kind of fall into two categories. There's high price, low volume, and there's low price, high volume. Mm-hmm. And especially when we're talking about evergreen, we're typically in the low price, high volume category. Now, some people sell premium courses on evergreen and stuff like that. So this isn't like a hard and fast rule, but usually when you're looking at things like coaching mm-hmm. one-on-one, that should be your highest price because it's a direct trade of time for money, yeah. right? But when we look at group programs, those can be premium priced as well. You know, my group program is 5k for six months. That's a pretty premium um, price, right? And then retreats, retreats, if you're offering something of value and you're literally giving up a weekend or four days or whatever of your time to go travel and and meet with these people, then that should definitely also be a premium offering. Mm -hmm. But because they're high priced, again, you have to know your goals and what your, what kind of revenue you need from this offer, but you can run a group program and have it be financially like lucrative with only four or five people in it. Yeah. Right. You don't even have to have a full blown launch if you don't want to, right. To, to get four or five customers, you can just do outreach. You can reach out to your network and say, Hey, do you have any customers or clients who would be a fit for this type of program? I'd love to talk with them. You could reach out to previous one-on-one clients you could do direct um, messaging strategies with people that you've already that you've talked to in the past that didn't convert for one-on-one, but maybe because price was too high, so you can go back to them with now a group offering that has lower price, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're going to launch a group program, you could do it with a challenge and have even if 300 people, you know, registered for your challenge, you can close five people off of 300 from a challenge. Hundred percent, right? So it doesn't have to be this huge, big launch. Now, if your course is only 300, 397 or 497, you're going to have to sell 10 times as many to mm-hmm. make around the same amount of money, right? So then you need a bigger audience. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just which, again, what does your ideal customer need from a transformation? What are your income goals? And then what do we need to do? So if you're selling something that typically is low price, high volume, membership site is going to be the the number one of those. They're the lowest price and you need the most members to make that monthly recurring make sense for you. Then you're going to need a bigger launch. Yeah. Something like a summit that might bring you 1500 people 
And then you can hopefully get, you know, 20, 30, 50, depending on your conversion rates from those 1500, then that is going to be more in line with a low price, high volume. So you've just got to kind of like play with all these different scenarios. And you're, I, I really, I mean, this is a little bit woo, but you will know instinctually or your intuition will tell you which feels like the right fit. I agree. And especially when it comes to, like you said, your income goals do play a big factor into this because if you're someone who wants to make, you know, an extra 10,000 in the next couple months, sure, a membership site can get you there, but probably not as fast as a group program or a retreat will be. So there are, like you said, the, the, there are those factors. It doesn't mean you need to let go of that. And if you have the ability to kind of have a slow build, then you can keep going on with it. But I love that piece because the disconnect happens where someone says, I want 10,000, but I only want to do it with like a seven or like $30 membership site in the next two months. And I don't have an audience. The ability right. in which you're going to be successful can happen, but probably not super great. So right. I love that you like talk about that because it's putting, like you said, that true entrepreneur, that realistic piece, even though our hearts are going to, you know, end up in membership sites or whatever it might be at the end. Right. And also just think about like, we, we're, we're talking short-term goals here too, but think about your long-term goal, right? If a membership site feels like the right fit for you, what if you launched and you got 15 members and then you launched again and you got 20 more members and then within 18 months or two years, you're at 200 members, mm -hmm. then you've got a big old business, Yeah. right? So what, what do you need and what do you want and, and think short-term, but also think long-term? Yeah. And I think that's also, that plays a factor into marketing as well, because you can't always just do the short-term piece. Like for, for me, and again, I'm biased, ads are the best short-term thing out there outside of maybe out, outreach, honestly. <laughs> and yeah. uh, long-term, you know, there's like this, there's the podcast, there's Pinterest, there's YouTube, there's so many other plays like go into, but what can happen is that people either focus too much on one or the other. And like you said, miss that piece. So you have to go into both. And that's why it's really helpful to have someone like Marissa, who's actually helping you navigate it so that it's not so overwhelming, especially if you have your own one-to-one -one clients already from your business, you need someone to help you out with that. Yeah. And you and I have talked about this. Like I've been in the online space for five years and I just started using ads like yeah. on a consistent basis. I'd run like one campaign as like kind of a like shot in the dark type of thing. Probably didn't perform very well. You could probably go back and look at it if you <laughs> wanted to, but like, I really believe, um, and this is why I was really happy to work with you is that I feel like ads are a tool, not a strategy. Yeah. And if your foundation is missing, then like we talked about earlier, you can throw as much money as you want on ads, but it's still not going to work. Yeah. And I've, I've actually uh, told people, you know, I turn them away because they try and see, and I tell this every single time ads amplify, they amplify the good and bad of your business. Yeah. So yeah. And to me, it's one of those things where if I see, you know, out of your 10 things, nine of them are not doing so great. I can't in like all honesty, you know, tell you to put money towards this. Even if I'm a great ads person. I'm not going to lie to my own home for a second, but I can't make it miracles happen. So it's, right. it's one of those things where, like you said, it's a tool. It can be an added like enhancement, but it shouldn't be your crutch for all your revenue at all times. 
Right, 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 right. And what I like about it is when it's working and you've tested it, you can turn the faucet on as, mm-hmm. uh, during launch times or, or, you know, if you have something evergreen and you realize, oh, an unexpected bill came up, right? I know my conversion rates. I know my math. If I put this much more into the ads, this much more is going to come out. Yeah. But that kind of stuff doesn't happen overnight. That takes mm-hmm. testing. That takes a proven offer. That takes all kinds of stuff before I feel like you get to that point. I agree. And it's why so many times, and this is something probably you agree with too, is that you need to launch or you need to do whatever you need to do at least once or twice before you do ads. Because if not, because I've seen it happen for like, for gung-ho clients where they do an offer they haven't tested before, or they are, they think it's going to do really well, but never really did the, the validation. So you're essentially putting money into a barrel and putting it down the river and hoping that like it gets to the end. Yeah. And that's just a recipe for disaster. Yeah. And I do feel like there's a push in the online space to go faster and faster and faster. I yeah. really, I'm hearing that on almost every podcast I listen to, like people even saying like, why have an email list anymore? It's too mm. slow of a strategy yeah. and all of that <laughs> stuff. And like, I think there are people at my stage of business or further along that that makes sense. They've had the flops. They've had the stuff. Their offers are rocking and rolling. And now it might be time to, to ramp up and, and scale. But I really don't think for the new online entrepreneur that that's the best advice. I really don't. I agree. And that's something that if I were to have gone fast, faster, when I first started, I would have failed so much more, but I also would have just spent even more money or spent even more time doing just the wrong things at the wrong time. So that is a huge piece that if you already have this business therapist, you have the clients already, although sometimes you can feel like, oh, but I want to get out of, you know, I want to get that whatever your goal is now. It can be sometimes more beneficial to have that slow build because you're building that foundation that's not going to shake when the wind blows. Mm-hmm. And then, like I just said, you can turn, you can ramp it up as much as you want or as little as you want once the foundation's in place. And does this need to take years? No, but I think, I think if you give slower strategies a solid six months to a year, launching two or three times within that year, then I think you're at a place to ramp up. I agree. And this actually goes into great around um, the actual rapid fire questions, which is at the end of the podcast, because this is just a way for the audience to kind of hear more about you and kind of know what your little uh, nuggets of advice might be. So let's go into it. There are only, I think, five here, but they get, they go from simple to a little bit more thought provoking. (laughs) Okay, good. So the first question is favorite book you've ever read or currently reading? Oh gosh. So the favorite book I've ever read was actually The Success Principles by Jack Canfield. It's a little bit old, mm. but this is what got me to switch from pursuing hardcore business to leading into um, coaching. And actually, it was therapist. It was during that quarter life crisis time because the book does really great um, exercises. And one of the exercises was what is something that you've been known for ever since you were a little, like a child? Um, and mine was always people asking me for guidance, people asking me for advice. So if I hadn't have read that book, I probably would have got an MBA instead of a um, master's in mental health. Yeah. And then I would not be on this path. I wouldn't have leapfrogged or zigzagged here. So that book has been like, was life-changing. 
Love that. And that's actually a good one to put out there because like you said, that exercise alone is something that people need to put their uh, thinking caps on more around because they can really show you what you should be doing. Yeah. What is your favorite word or phrase you use daily? Oh, my favorite phrase that I use probably daily, especially when I'm talking to my group members, is empathy and success are not mutually exclusive. Mm. So for the therapists out there or for the heart-centered entrepreneurs out there, you can still be caring and care about your people and care about what you're putting out into the world and be successful. I love that. And it's, I think, a lot, a shift for not only therapists, but entrepreneurs in general. You know, there is that shift that needs to be happening over there because intimacy for the connection piece of it, you can't beat. You really can. Okay. Okay. These are the, my favorite ones, actually. So, what is something you're not very good at or working to get better at? You know what I'm not very good at? And I've realized this um, recently is I'm not a very good visionary. Hmm. Um, so, I'm, I can see out like, a year probably. Um, but I am a strategist to my core. Like, so what started to happen is most of my students in my group programs, they are the visionaries. One of my people, she wants to start an entire new, um, certification for pain and addiction and how they're related. She'll eventually, like, there will be grad school classes about what she wants to do eventually, you know, and she sees this huge vision and I'm like, okay, so how are we building an email list? (laughs) (laughs) I am the strategist, like, that will take her vision and be like, all right, that's a 10 or 20 year vision. Let's work it back, work it back, work it back to our very next step. So I'd love to be a little bit more visionary, but I also am really loving this play between bring me your huge vision and I'll help you make a plan. Yeah. And that's needed nowadays, honestly. Okay. Okay. This is actually, this is my last one I like to to go with because I think there's something about it that is so important, especially for your people to hear is what does success look like to you in your own eyes? So success to me I have a monetary success goal um, that most of my audience knows about. And I also am starting to get more into like this lifestyle success goal. Um, so my husband retires from the army in um, five and a half, close to six years. Um, and my monetary goal is to be able to buy our house in cash after that. I want his retirement to, um, you know, go to auxiliary bills, not a mortgage. And I want him after serving for 20 years to be able to take a year or two and decide what he really wants to do next. Um, and so if I can have us mortgage free by then, and that's just going to take the weight of the world off of both of our shoulders. So that's my monetary success goal, but lifestyle success. I'm really, I want to say chasing. I still feel like I'm chasing it a little bit, but I'm really trying to intentionally bring about, um, just ease. Like I want to be in a state of high vibration instead of low vibration. And by low vibration, I mean like anxious, um, bluesy or depressed, worried down. Like I, I want those to be, I I can't say gone from my life because that's not realistic, but I want to be in a state of ease, peace, joy, excitement much more often than I'm in the other's. Um, and I'm working on it. I mean, I think all, that's all we can do is just strive for that a little bit more. I agree. And I think that's a huge piece that 
is talked about, I think, more when you hit, like, usually after the six figure. And so it's like, okay, let's actually talk about the, the real stuff, the internal work, uh, because yeah. that is a good piece in there. But I agree when it comes to this piece for yourself, not only does your life get better, business gets better and everything and so forth, when you are able to stick into that more, like, higher vibrational space. Yeah. And I don't hate the hustle. Like, I don't want it to come off that I don't, I hate the hustle, but I want to hustle in the right way and for the right things. Um, and I think if we move too fast, then we're hustling just for the sake of like doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good piece. And I want to actually leave that there because someone I, someone out there needs to hear that twice. But for those who are listening to you and say, I need more Marissa in my life, what are the ways that they can find you and like learn more about you and what you have going on? Yeah, the best thing to do is go take my quiz. It's at marissalawton.com slash quiz. And it helps you figure out which online offer is the best for you. It's written in a little bit of therapist language, but I think anybody who's coaching or even if you're doing like done for you services or design or anything like that, you can still get some value out of it because what it's going to help you take a look at is these things we've talked about. How much time do you want to give over to an online income stream? What's your revenue goal? How much marketing do you want to do for it? All of that kind of stuff. So you can really find, should I stick with one-on-one right now? Should I move towards a course, a group program, info products, a membership site, a retreat? Which of these options is the next step for me? Yeah, I love that. And for those who are in the audience right now, and we talked so much kind of about what people can do, but for you and going to like your success in your future, what are some current things that you're currently working on that can give the audience a little taste on what they can look out for from you? Launching or from programs that are coming out, any type of courses? Yeah. Yeah. So right now I have a a six month group program that takes you from offer all the way to um, like marketing plan. But what I've found actually is people need help with the idea for the offer before they can even get into my group program. Mm. So um, I have a new course coming out called Space Holder, which teaches you how to walk through some of these steps we've talked about. We talk about the program, the person, the problem, the promise, and the price. Um, and it's like a weekend course. It's not that long, but it's something that you can really take either an existing offer through this system or a new offer that you're thinking about through the system. And then you'll know like, okay, this is actually a really well thought out, well-designed offer, not only to sell, but to serve. I love that. And for those who are wanting to learn more about that and everything around Marissa, all her links will be down below. And I really recommend you give her, I listen on her podcast, first you take the quiz. It's like literally less than 60 seconds to take, but even more so is ask yourself where you're at right now. And if you need help with an offer, which means AKA you haven't sold it out yet, or you don't know how to, this is a good place to start. Awesome. Thanks so much, Danielle. This has been tons of fun. Thank you. And thank you for being on here. Thank you for just sharing and taking the time to. I know my audience is going to have so much to go back forward with and listen to. And for those who want to learn more, please check her out. And after that, thank you guys for all being here and talk to you guys in the next episode. Bye, guys listening to today's episode i am so excited that you were able to go through it and get some actionable tips out of it for next steps make sure you go to daniellecleum.com slash ad breakdown to get the complete ad breakdown around what one insta ad did to help create 559 client leads and 20 percent sales increase and launch make sure to go ahead there to do that and 
DM me at I'm Danielle Clem to go in deeper into the conversation. And last but not least, make sure to leave a rating and review so that this podcast can get out to more amazing people like yourself.